Here's Clark again. Oh, and through again he goes. He's got Satuku with him. But it's Ioane, in fact. And Rico Ioane's going to score. What a brilliant play from Caleb Clark, and the Blues are in again. Then it back this near side for Vince Arso. Vince Arso gives it away to Umanga Jensen. And he's got it on the line. And that is a try. Pass. Oh, oh And welcome to the Counter Ruck, a podcast where we discuss all things rugby. I'm the host of the Counter Ruck, Stacey, so thanks for joining us for another episode. We're joined by a lot of our regular panels, so I'll start by introducing everyone. We've got from the City of the Future and host of the Pitch Podcast, Joey Nanai. And also, we've got another regular uh, Waitamata rugby stalwarts uh, and son of Ian Foster. Uh, Rog, Rog, thanks for jumping on us. Yep. <laughs> Go Foster. Hey. Uh, nah, good to have you boys. Good to have you boys. All right, so we'll get into it very soon, but I'll start off with some housekeeping. So check out the website uh, of our network. So it's www.wizwiznet.com. And don't forget to click the support us button on the page to keep the content flowing. And we also have some exclusive content available for our supporters. So definitely some additional benefits there. I'll also mention you can follow the Counter Ruck on Twitter and Facebook. So give us a follow and give us a like on there. But I mentioned it a little bit earlier, so I think that's a good place to start. Uh, boys, after a bit of speculation, uh, some poor results, the CEO throwing him under the bus a bit, uh, Ian Foster. He's been retained as the coach right through to the next uh, Rugby World Cup. So, Rog, mate, I'll give you the first word, seeing you had some glowing words to say about him in our last podcast, mate. What did you make of the decision, firstly? Yeah, and are you happy of it? Happy about it? Um, I, guess, I guess it goes without saying that I am happy about Foster being retained as our, our coach for the All Blacks moving into, you know, World Cup year. I think it only makes sense, and it, it is common sense, and it's good that they, despite all the noise um, about... Uh, Robertson and even the Schmidt um, um, fans that are wanting him to take over. I think it's good that uh, the retained Foster, given him a bit of redemption. And his redemption was, yep, to see how that South African leg was to go. And you can't be happier despite the first um, test they, they lost. But it was that second test where they showed a, a bit of metal and were able to not only win, but win well but at Ellis Park, and that's, I guess that's where um, was a saving grace in the end. But at the same time, despite, regardless of, if, even if it was a loss, you know, there's a bit of a golden chalice or a hospital pass to then pass it on to the next uh, coach, I believe, to take them in with only one year, whereas a lot of coaches would, as the previous coaches, the last three head coaches have had, full cycles, World Cup cycles, so, and with um, Graham Henry having two cycles, um, being unsuccessful in uh, in one World Cup to come back in 2011 and win it at home. So I think it's only fair when the reins were handed over to Foster. It hasn't been handled the best, um, as we all know, through the media, um, with NZRU, with Mark Roberts, Robertson, um, a former All Black himself, and uh, but 
you know, it could have been done better. And then with the social media as well. And we've had, you know, people from all parts come in to, to vouch for uh, Foster, being the current coaches, being past, uh, sorry, the past coaches, past players, and even some of the current. And we saw how Ma'anunu, you know, before the post-match interviews with Goldie, with Jeff Wilson, he said, you know, doing it for, because he knew that it was such a nice sentimental touch. And I guess, you know, we're not here to to have that emotion sort of scene, but we knew that the pressure was on uh, for Foster. And so it was a touch of class from Ma'anunu to hug him on live TV. And then also to see the photos that came after of Sam Kane breaking down because we knew how much it means. So we knew, we know how much, or do we know how much it means to them as players? As because we're not in their in their shoes as coaches, we're not in their shoes either. So it's um, I guess with all the pressure, it sort of you know came to that point where it sort of spoke volumes. You know, they just let they just did all their talking on the field and got that result. And at Adelaide Park, uh, there's so much factors that go into that and in how they made that turnaround. You know, was J- Jason Ryan was he the difference or? And, you know, there's, there's so many facets of it that we can talk about. But for them to turn around in the space of, space of a week when, dare I say it, the majority of All Blacks fans, majority of the country had counted them out and we're looking down and we're sort of predicting nothing different from that first test. But it's on record. You guys know I said we're going for 13-plus and even Foster. And no one understood it at the time his post-match interview after that first test defeat in South Africa, he said it was their best performance and, and they're building towards something great. And, you know, at the time, who says that after a loss and under the pressure that he was in? Who says that? And, and they've got that insight as to what's happening in that environment. And the players, Julian Savier came out and saying, you know, if you're not in that environment, you don't know. And even um, Aaron Smith, I think it was, or Moonga came out and said that if you're not in our environment, posting on their social media, then, you know, we don't, you got nothing to say. You know, it's, it's interesting how even players are getting involved in it because I guess they're feeling that pressure. They know, uh, but, and Adi Savir alluded to it many a time that, you know, that's their coach, that's his coach. So am I happy about it? Coming back to that initial question, much so. Um, is it the right choice? I guess um, only time will tell. Um, I guess we can't always... Uh, talk about the, the Scott Robinson. And then if we go back in an article where it journeys, it timelines uh, Jason Ryan's um, um, rugby journey from the beginnings of playing club rugby right through to coming in, involved with the Crusaders and, and uh, Canterbury and Crusaders, you know, he turned down a, a gig as well to show loyalty to Scott Robinson. But then here we are. Yep, good points, Roger. I will give you credit because I know that you were stuck to your guns there with Foster. And uh, it looks like the maybe the New Zealand Rugby Union sort of on the same page as you, which is um, quite interesting. I'm not sure if Joey's there. Have we lost you there, Joey? Can't see you there at the moment. But, um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. The senior players in particular look to be right in behind him, which I don't know if that swayed them or not. But... Uh, no, I thought that was really interesting and quite telling. But, Joey, mate, um, I hope you can hear me. Uh, what are your thoughts, mate? What did you make of the whole Foster scenario? And did you think that New Zealand Rugby Union made the right call? I think um, New Zealand Rugby Union 
have been guilty of not backing their guy and waiting for a result like the one that we just had with South Africa to make a decision they should have made previously. They needed to sack him or back him. They chose to sit on the fence. And that left uncertainty, not only in the minds of poor old Ian Foster and his his assistants, but in the minds of the many All Blacks fans around the world. And it left little faith in the CEO, Mark Robinson. The way he handled the situation left a lot to be desired. The way he handled that press conference he did from a hotel room, it looked like, where it was quite blurred. I thought that was a mistake on his part. He could have handled that so much better. He didn't sound in that conference like someone who backed his hire, which is Ian Foster. They hired him. They knew what he brought to the table or didn't bring to the table when they hired him. And he was contracted to the end of 2023 or the end of the World Cup next year. And all of a sudden, they're saying that this was always part of the plan to review where he's at in the July tests. Okay. But if it wasn't for the fact that Ireland beat New Zealand in that test series, they would have never questioned it. They would have never gone to all these shenanigans. They they would have never had a conference like Mark Robinson did, where he just seemingly didn't back his guy, but talked a lot of talk around... Uh, you know, we got to go through this process and blah, blah, blah. If it wasn't for the fact that, yes, Ian Foster was saved by this win that they just had, and it was a great win, take nothing away, even from the captain, Sam, Sam Kane, I thought he had an excellent game, and I thought that helped matters as well. But you could, you could also, as a fan, as an All Blacks fan, you know, sit back and go, actually... You know what? This group, they, they're not actually going out there to lose a game. They're not going out there to get poor results. They're going out there to put their best foot forward and try and win, like all teams. Otherwise, you wouldn't show up, right? You go to put, you play to win. But it just seemed like the people that put them there, which is NZ Rugby, did not look like they backed their people. They didn't look like they backed Ian, Ian Foster any capacity until the press conference earlier yesterday where they said they, you know, they got us back now. Unanimous decision to um, to back him all the way to the end of the 2023 World Cup. Great. Now that that's out of the way, now that they've made that decision and poor old Robertson's left in the lurch again, boo-hoo, we have to now back Ian Foster because he's our guy. Whether we like it or not, we have to back him. Uh, whether we whether we um, have any opinions on his credentials and what his achievements have been or have not been to date in Super Rugby or whatever, we have to back him because he's the one that's been chosen. So him and his assistants, whoever they may be, and including Joe Schmidt now, we have to back them. We have to, uh, as fans, you know, live by the sword so therefore 
back him all the way to the World Cup. I mean, I have my own reservations and thoughts on what kind of results he will bring or will not bring to the World Cup, but he's not alone in this. He's, he's got players that he's selected and selecting and bringing in that need to do a job. They need to do a job not just for him, but for themselves and for future selections. And I'm really liking that um, there is a focus on young talent being brought in at the expense of, you know, the older tried and true test props that I, I have grown to admire. I I do see the, you know, the, the benefits and value of these younger props coming in. But that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, good thoughts there, Joey. I think me and you have been on a similar page with a lot of this. And I agree with that. Regardless of what you think of Foster, if you think he's the right coach or the wrong coach or whichever side of the fence you sit on, Mark Robinson is CEO. He has been poor. And I think he's really been exposed a lot through this. He didn't back him. He held a press conference to say that he was going to decide next in the next couple of days, basically saying nothing. Yeah. And uh, he threw Foster under the bus maybe a couple after that Irish series. And he's just looked ordinary. He looks like he doesn't want to make it's any tough for nothing. Yeah. And uh, even, the, you know, got leaked that uh, they had a private meeting and he was saying that Foster, he was telling Foster that he wants him to resign. So then, you know, Mark Robinson doesn't have to be the guy who fires him pretty much. Um, and, you know, Foster basically shot that down pretty quickly. But, Rog, I know you spoke you spoke quite well, and you spoke a lot about the how that well they've played. Um, I just wanted to go back to that. Do you think that if they lost, do you think Foster would have kept his job? And do you think that they've relied too much on this one result? Because is this sort of a what we can expect going forward, or is this sort of a an aberration of what we've seen so far? Is is what we can expect in terms of what the results over the last sort of couple of seasons? So I I sort of felt like like Joey mentioned that they got the result they wanted. Now they have got a press conference to release, say that he's our guy, but I'm not sure if this is who the All Blacks really are now. That's the thing. It's been, it's unprecedented because of the way Mark Robinson's behavior has been, the way he's been calling press conferences, the way that there's been review after review after a review and saying that there's going to be another review before, you know, and, and making it, um, because as far as I know, it was always going to be reviews at the end of each season. But this time, you know, they were talking about a review after the Irish series, the failed Irish series, successful for them, but, you know, obviously not the outcome that All Blacks fans and New Zealand Rugby Union were um, after. So then they spoke about that mini review about, and then giving another sort of KPI being the, South African League to the Rugby Championship and, and then from that. So it hinged on, from all accounts, it seemed like it hinged on that. How has it been done like that before? I don't know. Because I think it's always been at the end of your calendar season um, where they have the review, regardless of the results. So I think the Foster era is very, um, it's, 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 it's shaped it differently and it's never happened before from what I can recall. Um, yeah, sure, we've had some mixed results in the past uh, going back into the 90s and even before that but I guess it's because every everybody's got an opinion it's 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 heightened in that way you know 
and when I say everyone's got an opinion, it's it, like I said before, it's coming from your keyboard warrior, from your fan, which is, you know, and that's their opinion as well. And I, I can understand that from all the different platforms. And then you've got former players, Julian Savier coming out in support. Then you've got players from within the group coming out and voicing their opinion. And then you've got former coaches taking whichever side. Because I think John Hart doesn't side with the Foster um, appointment. And then you've got Steve Hansen coming out to vouch for him. Because Steve Hansen was at the beginning of all of it, you know, obviously him being under Steve Hansen for a long time. Um, so he was the, the successor, appointed, and, and, and Hansen was a part of that appointment. So, you know, that's all he can do and, and stick to that decision and come out and back him even further. Whether he's the right guy or not, I think the interesting thing, in amongst all of that, it's been about Foster, it's been about Mark Robertson, New Zealand Rugby Union. Where have the players taken accountability for this, you know, in terms of their performance and what they're putting out onto the field? It's gone almost away from that, and then a lot of the, the talk is, yep, it's about the performance and players that should be there, players that shouldn't be there. But, man, it's almost like a whole sideline or headline um, on its own with the coach and, and who should be in who shouldn't be there. But uh, uh, it's yeah, it's just interesting times. We're <laughs> talking about all this, um, that you know, headlines that we're giving to or airtime we're giving to the selection of coaches and the process and said reviews. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the players, uh, in a lot of ways, have got a maybe not scot free, but yeah, it has been sack the coach, get a new guy. And it's sort of, in some ways it does make sense because they've got, who Joey touched on before, before, they've got Scott Robertson there. I think he's won six Super Rugby titles. You've got like an elite coach who's waiting. And it's sort of easy to make that change when you've got someone who's ready to go. So I think that would have that made things worse for Foster by the fact that you've got an elite coach who says he wants to coach the All Blacks or coach at international level who will... Looks like almost an all-black coach in waiting, although he might not be now with with Schmidt there and, and the policies they have around the assistants taking over. Um, and, and I think that made things worse. Well, the, the, I guess the downside, kind of, the downside to that, the downside to that, Stace, if if Robertson was to come in, you know, it's almost like a lose-lose for him because if he he's then got the expectation because he's the man with all the six um, consecutive titles. There is no no other result but to win the Rugby World Cup if Robertson was to come in. You know, he's got no leeway. Whether he would have been pardoned for that if they didn't go all the way next Rugby World Cup and then given a full cycle thereafter, we don't know. And, you know, that's only fair if that would have that would have happened. But the expectations would have been heavy on him to, to get that World Cup because now he's in. Yeah, you got no you're you're that good that you've got a year to turn things around. And, and put things in place in order to get that outcome, nothing short of a Rugby World Cup win in France. So, again, that's why I say Poison Chalice would it, could it have been for whoever was to come in. And maybe they've compensated. The compromise there is that they've implemented, got rid of the two assistants that were there before Jason Ryan come in, with uh, Moore and uh, Plumtree. And then they've got Jason Ryan coming in, who's a uh, scrum forward specialist coach. 
And then now the addition of uh, uh, Smith, Joe Smith to appease all the Robertson fans, the people that were wanting Robertson. Is that a way of sort of um, appeasing that the population that wanted um, Foster gone and Robertson included? Because now, where does it leave Foster? Because all I can see now is, like you, you alluded to, Stace, the next coach and head coach in waiting is Joe Smith. And that's and that's been his style right from when he left these shores, or even when he was here, um, with Bay of Plenty, then came in as an assistant coach with the Blues, went overseas with uh, Clermont Auvergne, again, assistant coach in Europe, under Vern Cotter for Clermont Auvergne. They lost a couple of finals leading up to the one that they won as an assistant again. They won it in uh, 2000 and... Where did I go? 2009-2010, they became eventual champions in the top 14. But then they... Um, and it wasn't until he went to Leinster um, that he became a head coach. So all that time he was an assistant coach with the Blues, then with Clermont Auvergne, and then he took it. So I can only see the same pattern happening. And he was very, very successful coach at Leinster, um, winning a championship there, winning a couple of um, Celtic League and Pro 12 titles, I think it was known as. I think it's United Rugby Championship now, inclusion with uh, the South African teams since they've left the uh, Super Rugby. But then they've been Heineken Cup winners as well under under him at Leinster in 2011 season, 2012. And he had a good record as a head coach. And that was his first head coach gig before taking on the Irish um, appointment. And as we know, he was very successful there, getting the first um, ever win against the All Blacks. Um, got two, actually, and then he got one on Irish soil thereafter. But I think he had a 72% coaching record, and that was 76 matches 55 wins and 20 losses, one draw for Ireland. And, and he had a couple of uh, Six Nation wins as well. So that, And then that was his segue back into the, the game here in New Zealand. And sure enough, he's, he's probably climbed it a lot quicker than people thought. Or was it only natural that he progressed that quickly to get to where he is now? And I can only see him now after two, 2023, regardless of the result, he'll be our head coach. 2024. Ooh. Love these bold bold tips as well. The <laughs> podcast is always renowned for that. But I mean, Joey, I think he raises some good points there about the earlier sacking of the assistants. So I remember for not this review, the review they did four or five games earlier. They did a review at the end of the year. They said Foster reviewed pretty good, but the two assistant coaches reviewed poorly. They kept them on for the Irish series. Now they obviously they ended up getting sacked. And now they've got this new coaching regime. What do you make? Do you think this is the right move? Do you think they're right to sack those assistants in the first instance? And do you think you like this new coaching setup? For me, it's. Uh, I think they did make the right move, getting rid of Plumtree, and who was the other guy? Moore, Brad Moore. Brad Moore. Uh, Moore. I do think uh, that was uh, that was the right move. However. At the time, my feeling was they should have gotten rid of Ian Foster if they were going to do that too, and and Stormy or Scott McLeod if they were going to do that. But no, they didn't. They separated the crew and kept the two and added Joe 
and uh, Jason to the mix. And now I believe one other. They've added once one other person to the mix. Is that right? Or they're looking at adding someone else? Gee, how many coaches do you need? <laughs> Should have enough by now. Officer to <laughs> So they've got, they've got, they've obviously got Joe Schmidt, who was a bit of a consultant. Now he's in there as an assistant coach or the attacking coach, which is good. Um, his, his rugby brain will be valuable to uh, the Foster legacy, if you like. If I was Foster, I would sit back and let Joe take over the show and take all the glory, which I'm guessing that's what he's going to do anyway. <laughs> but um, the coaching group now is looking a bit better than it was before, I think. Um, you've got a lot of experience in Joe. You've got you know, you've got a, a really good forwards coach in Jason. And, you know, I think... Like Roger said, 2024 will be a telling year. And I think the coaching group from 2024 onwards leading in, leading to the 2027 World Cup will be hinged on the results from this Rugby World Cup in 2023. If it goes in the way of failure or disaster in terms of not winning the World Cup, then I'm guessing... New Zealand will relook at the the Foster circus that has been, and uh, maybe look to bring in someone, maybe look to bring in someone like Scott Robertson and whoever he chooses as his assistants. However, if the if the campaign, the World Cup campaign for New Zealand turns out to be a good one, where they make the final or and do really well, but get pipped or go all the way and actually win the cup, I'm guessing Foster will be given the opportunity to extend his contract further. Right. Are you actually Jeez. saying this, Joey? Are you actually, wow. It's, um, so it'll all... It's comforting to know. It'll all be hinged on the result of the World Cup. You know, we, <laughs> we, like, to, we like to reward coaches when they bring silverware to the cabinets over there at HQ. So, Foster included. You know, whatever I think of Foster is irrelevant to the results. Well, it's the he same can, Joey and I. As long as he can bring, as long as he can bring the, the and, and the results, um, I'm happy for him to stay on as long as he can keep bringing results. But I'm guessing, and I'm going to put some money on this. We will, uh, we will see history being made even the rest of this year. Where the blood is low, we'll then say Robinson. goodbye to New Zealand shores and no, say hello no, no, no. again to Australian oh, well, oh, shores. You can't uh, tell me right? when the Pumas beat Australia the way they did it last weekend that they're going to be retaining any... They're not going to be getting any Blitters low cup. No way. And that would be largely thanks to Joe Schmidt. The only person that's laughing from Australia is Michael Chika for coaching the Pumas and destroying the Wallabies the way they did. Rugby Australia actually are making a lot of noise lately, especially Hamish McLennan again, talking about, you know, Super Rugby and all that, how we need them as much as they need us. We need them more than ever now. Uh, good thoughts, Joey. Like, okay. shush, Hamish. Just sit back and relax, mate. Interesting that you mentioned that um, about uh, the Rugby World Cup, uh, Joey, if um, the Foster was to be successful next year, because I think... 
I don't think Robertson wants to be an assistant. That's the thing. Because he, given his record, Definitely. yep, that deserves some head coach uh, appointment out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And whether that's for the national job here in New Zealand, I don't know. But it seems like we're adamant that we're going to, obviously we're staying with um, Foster. But then we've got Joe Smith now in, in the in the in the line and as an option going forward for being a head coach. And I think his record speaks for itself as well. Internationally, he's got that over um, Robertson. He's come through Super Rugby being an assistant. He was under Peter Sloan and David Nusifora in the early 2000s, early to late 2000s. And then he's gone offshore and the Blues had the best, their best result when he had left in um, 2007. They finished fourth, and that was their best result since uh, 2003 um, championship. And then they didn't have another fourth placing, another loss in the semi-final until 2011. So the influence of of Smith as a as an assistant is is quite, you know, it, it speaks for itself. And so he's come full circle, and then and so and then he's got this this record in Europe what he's done with uh, Clermont under Vern Cotter, what he's done with Leinster as the head coach, and then obviously with Ireland that we all know about, you know, and having some um, firsts with them, winning Six Nations, um, getting third uh, ranked at, in the world rankings as, as third for the first time, but then obviously getting up to the being ranked first and in the build-up to that. So Scott Robertson doesn't have that, and I think that's why Joe Smith will always be appealing. Scott Robertson needs to go offshore, and and see if he can emulate or do better what he does he, or you know get some sort of a record with some offshore whether it be a super club whether it be somewhere in Europe um, before and then maybe internationally before coming back for the gig because you know what happened with Dave Rennie we just had an abundance of good coaches Dave Rennie who after those successful campaigns with the Chiefs he was touted to be an All Black coach or you know he was in line for it but. We still had Hanson around, and then he had his assistants. Dave Rennie, you know, for whatever reason, maybe he didn't want to be an assistant either. So, and we saw it with, even before Dave Rennie, Robbie Deans. So, what do you do? Does he stick around and wait for his turn? Because he could only be, he could be waiting until post-2023 World Cup and still not get the gig as a head coach. I think what's going to happen is... Scott Robertson is going to do a Brendan McCullum, go and coach England and beat us. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? All those, all the pe- Scott Robertson lovers, that would just be on their high horse all over the keyboards, man, if, if that happened. Do you mean, do you reckon he'll get a head coach gig with um, England? I think he'll be the successor to Eddie. Ooh, I love these big calls coming through. That's it's yeah that's that I reckon that 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 looks that could be likely. Um, Eddie's coming to the end of his reign, and I don't know whether he's you know and see does Eddie go on to another country and try and boost their services there. But um, and we see it, you know, we saw um, Mario Ledesma was with Australia at one point. We now see Michael Checker over with the Pumas. Um, we've, we've always known that these All Blacks have floated around Steve McDowell with Romania. In, in past World Cups, and we've had Kieran Crowley with Canada, and so, and then also with America, yeah. we've had New Zealand coaches. JK so, with Italy. JK with Italy. So, 
so we, you know the landscape is so much there's so many different pathways for coaches they don't always have to be you know we don't as much as we want to try and keep that wealth and that that intel here but they go off over 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 the they go abroad sorry to try and you know earn coin and do well and then hopefully one day when the time is right they come back sometimes it doesn't eventuate will we ever see a a Dave Rooney come back to New Zealand or is he down the picking order now um, mm. Warren Gatlin he's another one that hasn't been spoken of because he was another one that was in the mix and um, obviously you know the, the campaigns with Chiefs of late haven't been the greatest results and has he still got a foot in with uh, Wales and in the Lions mm. you know what I'd, li- I'd like to uh, see Scott Robinson like- I reckon he needs to go needs to go get some experience abroad and then he might he might be able to Jason Ryan's just been lucky to come through the way that he's come and be under um, the head coaching of of Scott Robertson through Canterbury and and the Crusaders and then, um in essence has gained all these titles at NPC level and, and at super level and now because he's he's got a he's he's got a niche uh, specialty that he that he he concentrates on, and he's a byproduct of of Mike Cron, and he's taken on that sort of um, that sort of um, workload, so to speak, and, and done well at it. Whereas, um, and he and he never played professional rugby. You know, he played he played Heartland rugby. You know, whether it was second division at the time or third division, come through playing untold amounts of. I think he almost was a double centurion at club level in Christchurch. So. A different journey to, and he's got a different sort of perspective as you know someone that's rubbed shoulders with all these professionals, but coming from a uh, an, virtually an amateur background in terms of rugby, and he's just upskilled his, his knowledge base as he's, and he, I think he quit his job even to be a voluntary, you know, on a voluntary basis to uh, as a scrum coach for Canterbury in and around that on the west coast because he played for the west coast and I can't remember Buller, played for Buller. But yeah, never quite made Canterbury because I think he had so many. There was riches of props at the time, and the Dave Hewitt's uh, Greg Feek was another one they mentioned. So in and around that time, where it was hard for him to break into the Canterbury, uh, Canterbury. Yeah, think Joe Schmidt. I think he's. Uh, I like that. I like that selection actually. I know, Joy. You mentioned in our group chat just sort of as a joke that you know when someone asks like, well, "What role is he going to play?" And you'd mentioned, hey, look, if they win, he would have overseen the whole game plan. And if they lose, he would have had nothing to do with it. It's sort of, and I think that that's going to be the public perception, at least. If by some miracle, they win the World Cup, Schmidt's going to get a lot of the credit for it. It's sort of a bit like um, when the Kiwis won the World Cup 2008 and they had Steve Kearney as the coach. His record was pretty poor. They get Wayne Bennett on board and a lot of people credit Wayne Bennett even though he was sort of just an uh, overseer of events, really. They give him a lot of the credit. And I think Joe Schmidt might end up getting a lot of the credit if the All Blacks win. And Foster mm. will get a lot of the blame if things go awry. I think a lot of people have made their mind up. Is, is anyone jumping on the All Blacks now after this coaching announcement? Anyone thinking, changing their mind about how the All Blacks are going to go in the World Cup? Anyone think they're going to take it out? Any, you two? Say again? Any of you two jumping on the All Blacks to take the world, next World Cup out now? Just with the now the coaches settled and everything. 
Nah, 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 nah. Joey, Joey's adamant that it's going to be the Wallabies, remember? He's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, just wonder if any of you guys have changed your mind uh, jumping on the All Blacks. I reckon they're going to do well. Mm. They'll do well. Define well. Define well. Oh, make it to the semis. Okay, okay. And in order to do that, they need to beat Ireland. Or South Africa. I think it's Ireland that they match up. Ireland or South Africa. Or South Africa. Yeah. But then they're going to falter at semis. Because France are going to win it. I'm still holding to that. But, you know, because then, Joey, you were saying also, you know, like again, like what Stacey's pointed, posed to me, define well, what's what's going to be deemed in a successful campaign at the Rugby World Cup? Is it to win it with Joe Smith, Foster, Jason Ryan, and whoever else? Is that going to be good enough as a successful campaign? Or does it have to be an out-and-out win? Because going back to the coaching selection and what you guys have all said, like with Joe Smith being selected, then it could be, um, you know, if they do well, it's going to be because of Joe Smith. If they don't do well, it's because, fault, you know, coming back to default, it's Ian Foster's fault. So it's a lose-lose because you're not going to give the credit, like you said, with how it was Steve Kearney and, and Wayne Bennett with the rugby league equivalent. Is it going to be given the same regard with Foster? Or, because I think, like you mentioned, Stace, that, as, as you've mentioned also, Joey, that the selection of, of Joe Smith has softened the blow to accept Foster still being in charge moving forward. Yeah. Um... So what deemed, what deemed success for you at the World Cup for the All Blacks perspective? For me, success to is... To win the whole thing? Or... For me, success is making it all the way to the final and putting in a good performance in the final. Even if they lose. Because do we really remember? Do we really remember France from '87? Do we really remember France from, you know, uh, 2011? We we talk about even though it was one point. But it's always going to be on the side that, you know, the All Blacks won that World Cup. We'll, we've won the World Cup three times now. And do we reflect on it and take it piece by piece that it was only by one point? You know, even though the All Blacks were pummeling everyone leading up to that, you know, Pretty couldn't do anything wrong in 2011. We only won by one point, but no one really remembers. Why, Rog? I think what he was trying to say was nobody really remembers who came second. You came sick and you lost. You're a loser. <laughs> I had the same problem. I got cut off as well. Uh, yeah, my, my my take on it is as long as they make it to the final, put in a good performance, I think that will be seen as a success. Now you're cut off. Now it's just you and me, Cam. I'll just keep talking anyway. A success for me would be making it to the final, Putting in a good performance and losing in some dramatic way. It's weird. I think we're all having problems with the internet tonight. We're all, we're all getting cut off. I, I got cut off earlier. Not catching anything you're saying, Stace. It's, it's um, coming across as white noise. It's not catching anything you're saying, Stace. Can you hear anything, Cam, from where you sit? Cameron? Or it's a Cameron. He's on mute now, but when he was trying to talk earlier, it wasn't coming out. What do you call... um? Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. All good. Even if we can't hear it, all good. Yeah. 
I think um I think they've given Roger insight. No, I didn't have it plugged in. The power went. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, silly. I I got cut off earlier oh. as well. I had to restore all my pages. Anyway, um, where were we? Oh, we were with the how success looks like for the All Blacks campaign yeah. at the World Cup. For me, it's for me, it's from the perspective of New Zealand rugby. It would most likely look like them making it to the final and putting in a good performance in the final and losing in some dramatic way. But for me, as a fan... And you wouldn't accept that? Or no? And someone who... Oh, I would accept it, for sure. I would accept it. Um, but for me, I think if Fozzie wants to keep his job, he should do his utmost to get the team ready to win the whole thing. Therefore, there is no doubt in anyone's mind that he should be retained. If he wins the World Cup, there will be no questions asked. No judgment passed. <laughs> My <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's... Um... <laughs> I just think it's a, uh, it's an interesting time because where we find ourselves in this day and age, because I, I don't I don't know too many coaches that would have been mm. under the same amount of pressure as Foster is, even going back to the early nineties through to now. You know, it's just, and I think social media and all the different platforms add to that, and it's accumulated in all this because everyone's got their having their say in. There's so many angles that people can go in that, and so many, and and so I go back to the two, you know, to uh, the two assistant coaches that were let go, and it's almost like were they the scapegoats in all of this? Because how can you let go of those two? How can Actually, you, you know what? go of those two without letting go of the person that they were under as well? And you know, as much as I wanted them to retain. Um, foster it's it's just been an interesting sort of process that it just doesn't seem to add up they've gone this way but they're going to go this way as well um whereas if they're going to do a clean out then why hold on to um the head coach when you've got these guys coming in as well because yeah you know actually Rog, that makes it that brings up a good point the one you said about um the one you said about um, Foster. Because it's quite rich hearing commentary from the likes of John Hart, who is not a Foster fan. Yet he was the one that coined the phrase, you have to suffer or face a bit of adversity in order to enjoy the success when it comes. He should know more than anyone as a former coach who suffered adversity the way, you know, that is comparable to what Ian Foster has been suffering in the July tests. So it's quite rich from him to then be against the the Foster regime. I, th I just think it's it's a little bit hypocritical. He should not forget that during his time, he also suffered major losses and yet kept his job after them. So, John Hart, if you ever hear this. I guess what I guess what they, <laughs> but I guess what they recall of John Hart is that 
you know, being part of that 96 um, series win mm. against South Africa. And that's what is the massive highlight in his tenure, despite the mm. failings at the 99 World Cup as well. Um, he had an amazing, you know, group of players that they took to that World Cup post the 95 World Cup. And, and still they couldn't do it. You know, Jonah Lomu scoring those two tries against France in that match and still it was just not enough. And they had, you can't mm. say that that all-black team was a poor team. They were a stacked team mm. even then and you just couldn't find the way to the line other than through Jonah, um, unfortunately. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. And yeah, some great players that have, yeah. have never won a World Cup went through that. You know, from between 1987 right through to 2011, that's, you know, so good 24 years of a lot of good All Blacks not reaching that, uh, you know, not only winning, not only winning a World Cup, but mm. even to reach a I just want to um, backpedal a little bit on a previous conversation about Mark Robinson and Scott Robertson. They were former teammates. So you, you you can't help well I can't help but wonder as a fan if something happened there between the two of them for Mark Robinson to constantly be blocking the progress of Scott Robertson, a former teammate. But I don't I don't think it would be just down to mm. Robinson making that decision. Okay, I see where you're coming from, um, Joey, but I mean, there'll be a lot of other people at the round table making these decisions as to who to bring in. And Scott Robertson being one of the names who are highly high up on that list in the mix of taking over the team. But, um, you know, and then you, because there was that, that post that came out um, earlier in the week about uh, a reliable source saying Robertson was mm. featured in that with Rangi, um, Leo McDonald as well. So that yeah. never eventually. And then you, you bring up former players. Well, Leo McDonald, another one part of that um, the early years of the Crusader Destiny, mm. uh, yeah, Dynasty, sorry. And so, that's nice of you. We nice of you to plug in I your guess church. There's so there. many different angles, like you say. <laughs> so I just tripped up on it. Tripped up. I know that's why you come. All the way up State Highway 1 to go to church in that one. At all right place. <laughs> all Famous right street place. there. Now, I think, um, yeah, I liked what you said earlier, Joey. Like, obviously, everyone speculates, and I have been adamant that I wanted Foster sacked. But that's who they've gone with, so now we got to end all that sort of negative talk around Foster and just back the guy home. I do hope he does well even though I wanted him sacked. But now he's got the job. Yeah, let's, let's support the guy. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to end my negative talk about Foster. Oh, okay. Yeah, I oh, I thought, we, I thought we both turned the page. Okay, carry on. <laughs> I am going to, I am still going to back the team, even, you know, even though I have my own opinions about his coaching ability. I'm going to back the team and him, of course, because that's what unconditional support is, right? But that's the thing. That's the interesting thing. It will make it. We've made it so much about the coach when it's the team that we support, right? Like you go through the NRL. We don't. There's not necessarily too much talk about who coaches. We know who coaches, but you know they don't factor into. They don't factor in as to whether they. 
you know, have a, a part to play in the outcome, I suppose, when it happens on the field, as much as what we've, the emphasis that we've put in on, on Foster here. Um, but yet we still have players that have been selected, not solely, not only by Foster, might I remind everyone, is that, you know, because there's, there's still a, a selection panel, there's still the assistant coaches and, and with the, alongside with the head coach, we're a group of players who have come in. Because then we see what happens is that they blood a few players, then they've left a lot of players out. And then that's a whole different topic in its own about who they've left out and who has been left out um, still, even on that South African league. Dalton Papali didn't get a feature. And, um, you know, and that, that comes down to selection and who do they take on when they've already got someone like a Sam Kane and an Ari Savir there to cover. Again, that's all. The debate is is ongoing around, you know, when we talk about Sam Kane, is he going to be remembered like, as we as we have come to know, uh, Tane Randall's place in history, in the game. Tane who? Tane Nane. <laughs> no, I like Tane. He was a good bloke. Yeah, no, good point, Roger. I, I wonder about Foster as a selector because you brought up earlier Joey Hill. You know, it's good to see some new blood with these props and the rest of it. But we've got to remember how they got their chance. So he was on the Ofa Tonga Fasi buzz and the Nepolo Lala buzz, and it wasn't until they got injured that these guys are getting the opportunity. You look at Tokiaho, we, we've speculated for a while that he's been the best hooker in the country for probably since last mm. year. Uh, he didn't really play the Island Series, you know. Foster sort of, he has his guys that he likes. Cody Taylor was the guy before, even though Tokiaho should have been there ages ago. I don't know what was going on with Ethan DeGroote. He should have been there from the start. You know, obviously those two Blues props, or oh, Blues guys, so I want them to do well, but it was became obvious quite early that they needed to get some new guys in there. Um, Tupova is another guy who's barely played. He looked a gun lock, but he just he trusts the guys he trusts. Where's Hoskins, the tutu, he's barely played the he's been selected in the All Blacks for what, nearly three years now. He's barely played a game. So you know, I don't know about I don't know if I want to put more blood in the wound uh salt into the wounds of Foster, but yeah, some of his selections have left a bit to be desired there. And that's without talking about the captain selection. Yeah. The the beauty of where Foster's at at the moment is he's got He's got um, he's got a couple of young young blokes that he can still bring into that group. Will he? Will like he? Like Cullen Grace, Cullen Grace. You know, just to mention one name, but then you've got another guy who's really performing for Otago, which is uh, Thomas Umanga Jensen in the midfield. He right now is doing really well in the NPC, along with Cullen Grace. See, I don't even know if any of the Auckland boys are standing out at the moment, but those would be the two picks of the NBC for me for Ian Foster to keep an eye on or to get his people to, you know, keep an eye on to bring in later on. Maybe maybe the Argentina test, maybe, as injury cover. Um, keep them in the system by, you know, blooding them. I mean, Cullen Grace has already been in there, but Umaga Jensen would be a nice addition. So he's got he's he's not lacking any 
choice coming through of talent. I think he just needs to really be careful with the the, the match day selections because those are the guys that you know add to his coaching legacy by producing results or not producing results. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I just hope hope he can get the selections right. And yeah, I know it's harsh on Foster. He's copped so much criticism. And I do think that Robertson is a massive factor. Like we see Robertson doing elite coaching with these guys. Like I talked about Cody Taylor before. It's obviously it's obviously a different level, but Robertson can make that guy look like a beast. And then he gets to the All Blacks under Foster, and he looks bereft of ideas. Uh, we've seen Sevi Reese look a bit out of out of its sorts. Uh, Harvey's been up and down, but when they, when Robertson's got his hands on them. Obviously, at a level below, they just so perform so much better under his coaching, and people can see that with their own eyes, and that sort of makes people point the, the finger at Foster probably a bit more harshly than some previous coaches, like you mentioned, Rog, have got pointed at them. And I think that's because we've got an elite coach sitting on the sideline who a lot of people believe can do a better job. And I brought this up before, like if I was to rank the top coaches, New Zealand-born coaches in the game, I'd have Foster probably outside the top five, maybe outside the top ten. Like I, I'd still pick Rennie, even though the results haven't been that good. I, I think Rennie's a better coach. Scott Robertson's better. Joe Schmidt's better. You can rattle off a few more names before you get down to Foster. And a lot of people have that perspective that the All Blacks coach isn't the best choice. So it's harsh on Foster, but uh, I, I came on this podcast saying I wasn't going to rub the boot in, but, you know, I get that. I get that, and that's, and I, I guess that's because it's it's factored on results right from the beginnings of his coaching before All Blacks, you know, from provincial, from um, Super Rugby. I, I totally understand. So it's always going to be based on those factors, and his his results um, have have left a lot to be desired as the head coach of the All Blacks. So. I totally understand that, but what the scrutiny I believe is is being heightened because of the platforms. If we go back to when social media was a thing, it wasn't a thing in the early two thousand in the in the late two thousand. You imagine the scrutiny that a uh, Richie McCaw would have got over losing that that Rugby World Cup final on a platform of social media, as of you know the way that it is now, because everyone, every man and their dog has a has a say on social media, and there's so many different. Uh, platforms that things get reported on, the media, the, the mainstream media with or normal publications, but then all of that is plastered all throughout uh, social media So, as well. So that's where all of the pressure builds up from all of the different publications and, and platforms. But, you yeah, know, when I know it was, it was tough enough watching Richie McCaw lose that first Rugby World Cup and Ted being a part of that and then being able to get a second go at it, the, the, the following World Cup, being at home. And then we can, you know, and then the wave that uh, Steve Hansen rode and that same core group of players that carried him through to the next World Cup, winning two consecutive uh, Rugby World Cups, and then trying to go that one more in 2019, just falling short. So, oh, I don't know. I, I, I think a, a, a big emphasis, I reckon, is in normal media in itself, but you know, social media and all the different platforms have um, added to the f- uh, furore of 
of fans having a say, I suppose. Yep. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. It's sort of like almost being the perfect storm for Ian Foster in a negative way. So um, mm. I hope everyone can be kind from now on, as you would say, Rog. But we've spoken about this probably <laughs> a bit longer than I intended to, so we might have to cut yeah, some yeah, stuff yeah, out. Yeah. You just have one, want to make any more points? Just one last point about Foster before we move on to the next the next subject. Joe, you got any last words? Foster! On that subject? He's our man! <laughs> <laughs> Nice. The man without a plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what Sally said. So what's going to be the plan? What's, what's Foster? Uh, no, no, not Foster. He was saying, what's Joe Smith's plan? Yeah. And he said, oh, it's just going to be the contingency plan. Every plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good luck, Foster. All right, boys. Um, We might, we'll skip the ITM Cup. Maybe we'll look at that maybe at our next podcast. But... The club rugby scene, which I know you guys uh, have a big passion for and are quite knowledgeable about, a couple of things happened in there that are worth revisiting. So I want to start off with something a bit more positive. Uh, we'll look at the final with the Medico Rovers. Beat your old team there, Joey. Possibly uh, in the thriller, I'll have to say as well. Uh, last minute uh, kick there to... To steal it, um, Joey, mate, I think you were at the game, were you? Uh, did you want to touch on that? What did you make of the... Yep, I was indeed. I was there in the flesh. Of the game and the club rugby overall? Enjoyed every moment of the game. It was a bit of a roller coaster, especially the last 20 minutes. Uh, I thought it was everything you could ask for in a grand final for the Galahar Shield. Uh, it had the physicality. It had the moves. It had, it had a bit of everything. And... Um, the way it finished was unfortunate for any Ponsonby supporter, but you know you can only respect the way they brought it. You know the way Monaco Rovers brought their A game. Um, it could have been anybody's game. In the end, it was theirs, and deservedly so. They, I felt they they won every bit of contact in the game, all the collisions. The set pieces, I thought they were exceptional. I thought they had some innovative moves there. I thought uh, they had some they had some pretty good rugby brains on the park, especially um, coming off the bench was a, a big first five who, um, according to rugby circles, was uh, the first five correct for Karaka in their final in the county's competition against Ardmore Marist, where Ardmore Marist had lost to Karaka. So uh, Doug Samft, the coach for Monaco Rovers, did well to recruit that, that player. And he ended up being the one that did the final uh, chip and chase where it caught the Ponsonby backline all offside to, to lead to that penalty that won them the game. Um, I thought it was quite a nail-biter. I thought Ponsonby, in some areas, looked looked like they were uh, on a roll and had won back the momentum in some cases in the, in the final stages. But as with you know, a lot of these close games, it doesn't come down to who deserves to win. More so, it comes down to who makes the most of their chances. And that's that's right out of the book of Jerry Collins, that one. He was the one that said that. 
nobody, you, you don't deserve to win. You actually make the most of, you know, your chances. So whoever does that the best usually comes out on top. And that's exactly what happened with uh, Monica Rivers. Um, the game itself, full of skill, full of physicality. I, I enjoyed it as a fan. I was fixated on the game and not all the Monaco supporters that seemed to drown us out. Um, they really showed up in full force. 12 buses, I believe it was. 12 bus loads. So that's that's good support from them. And uh, they got the result that they really wanted. And I believe even today, to this day, they're still, they're still celebrating. Yeah, nice. Nice thoughts there. Um, I was supposed to go to that game, but I was sick uh, that day. So oh, I had yeah. to give it a miss. My partner was there. My two kids were there. Yeah, they were going for the oh. Rovers. Uh, Desiree, my partner, her dad, he awesome. played for the Rovers from like yeah. under sixes to the Prems to the Golden Oldies. And her Whoa. grandfather was in that team when they won it in 1973. Rovers yeah. Wow. So they are Rovers to the death. And they were both of the both. That's they, awesome. were, they were like in tears when uh, when they got that win. So yeah, it was it was awesome for them. I was that's I was actually my because um, it was I heard it was because I'm a Mangry boy so. through and through, and um, um, that's that's actually my local team. My two younger brothers played for that team, played for Manukau Rovers, uh, Prems, and um, yeah, oh, okay. it was it was a hard pill to swallow when. Uh, when Monaco had won the game, but I was happy for my younger brothers that the old club <laughs> did one over uh, Ponsonby in the final. And obviously in, uh, I think it was 1968, when they first won it, it was a Ponsonby final as well. And they won it. So history repeats. Yeah, nice. Roger, mate, you got any thoughts? I know you, you're quite uh, still involved in the, the club rugby level. When you're not injured or red carded, <laughs> yeah, no. So it's, I mean, they had a, a really stellar year coming right from the beginning. There was a lot of talk about uh, Monaco Rovers, especially when there was guys like like Joey mentioned, Doug Sampt, who had come across after coaching Ardmore Marist in the counties competition for a, f- a few seasons, but he brought along with him for the ride, his two assistant coaches. And, and I played with those two guys at Ardmore Marist. And that was Carwin Chase as well as um, Suli, Suli Tau Falele. And Suli used, was an up-and-coming uh, player in the county's competition in the, the late 2000s, early 2010s. But unfortunately, due to an injury, he you know he was unable to go over and take up a, a pretty good contract overseas because he was he was that good a player as a, as a hooker come... Uh, loose, loose head prop, and even Tonga the Kalitahi were knocking on his door as well. So, due to injury, but he's transitioned across into the coaching realm and under under um, Doug Sampton. So they've come over, not only transitioned well, but they transitioned from the county's Monaco comp into the Auckland comp, and then to take it out in their first at their first bite at it is 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 an achievement in itself. Um, Fritz Avida played was their halfback for the majority of the year. He's another guy that we've got connections to out west. Um, he's sitting in around 95 premier games for Waitamata. And, but, you know, for the last few years, he's been um, playing under the guidance of a Doug Sam through Mount Wellington, 
before he took on that job. Uh, yeah, that's right, because they were he was a head coach at Mount Wellington before he took on the Admiral Maris gig. And so Doug's been a successful player in his own right mind through as a player, coming up the ranks, playing for Manu Samoa as well. And um, his little brother was a, an Admiral Maris boy as well, and he was a good fullback. And, but Dougie was a, a first five. So I think a lot of the talent, I'm not too sure what happened at Admiral Marist, but uh, a lot of them have come over and um, followed um, these coaches into the Manuko Rovers setup. But they've done well, and I know that there's a, a bit of a pathway with Manuko Rovers to Moana Pacifica as well. So, you know, keeping that talent not in South Auckland, but, you know, and then a lot of the guys that uh, once Super Rugby was finished, they filtered into... Um, into the Monaco Rovers uh, game plan as well. But I'm not too sure to what extent because the majority of the time it was a lot of the players. Um, because I know siblings of um, Alamanda uh, that played for Mona Pacifica play, play at um, Monaco Rovers as well. Um, but that game alone, again, like you guys have already mentioned, 97-3 was the last time Monaco won it. They, they'd won two titles before this year. So this being their third. And they're the first team since um, Otahu won it from South Auckland. And Otahu last won it in, in 2000. I believe that's right, eh? Is that right, um, Joey? It was 2000, and I, I was there for that game. And, you know, and I remember because the, the, before Otahu won it in 2000, the last time they'd won it was 1982. And they had jerseys, the Oats took jerseys with 82 on it. And that, guys like Luke Melamu, um, even Kevin Melamu was in, in involved in that in that time as well. Urini Ai. So a lot of players have come through that Sika Po Ching as well. But um and then you got your Gareth Palamos who were he was the hitman of, of club rugby back then as well. So you get a hit from him and you 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 felt it. You sometimes you woke up and what happened? But yeah, G Shock was his name. Uh, but yeah, so it was a good times, like you say. You know, there's a lot of connections from people. The busloads of fans that went. It was just a great. It seemed like when the cameras pointed to the crowds, um, when there was a celebration or a try scored or a good hit, it seemed like it was an actual provincial game because of the amount of crowds that were there, purely for a club final. I don't think there's been club finals like it before, and especially, I, I guess, it was heightened even more so because it was a curtain raiser to. Um, the first NPC match, and whether that factored in, but I could, well, all I could see was just so many um, um, Manuka Rovers fans, and they sort of almost like took over and dominated. Um, if there were any Ponsonby fans, I'm sure there were, but it was a great atmosphere, and you could hear the crowd roars, and and it was great that it was televised. That Sky televised it prior to that um, uh, first NPC match there at Eden Park, and it just seemed like a, a really good. Um, event that was put on. Um, I was sort of in awe of uh, Willie, and you know him, uh, a uh, Joey. You know, some six Gallagher Shield final. I know Mapa Tonga Shit. that we know, Stacey. Um, oh, yeah. You know, Mapa. He's 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 won eight with ponies, and he still goes oh, on about it. Eight, and that was that through that era where they won. It was eight consecutive as well, Joey. And so that's that's pretty impressive, and. Yeah. And that would have been it had had Ponsonby had won that. So that was fifty. I think it it becomes fifty titles between Monaco and and Ponsonby. Third, the third for Monaco, but the, the Ponsonby have won forty seven times. Uh, oh, so, gee. so they they were they were looking for their forty eighth one uh, this time, but they came close. The other special mention is I think there's a first as well, where someone 
in that Manuka Rovers team, who I don't think played during the season, or not that I knew of or saw, but who played for Eden last year, won the championship with Eden, won the Gallo Shield with Eden, and there was the reserve halfback that came on, Nico Costa, an Argentinian brother that I used to play with at um, Maris North Arbor a long time ago, it seems. But he, he's still young. He's played for Auckland before. But I saw him in that number 21 jersey. He come on for Monaco. So he's won now back-to-back championships or Gallo Shields with two different teams. I don't know if that's been done before. Yep, it has. And so there's a young kid from <laughs> who was playing for Auckland only about three or four seasons ago. So um, does he get a, a lifeline? You know, It has been done before. It has been Go done Joey. before, Rog, um, by someone you know as well. Oh, okay. Actually, this guy did the three-peat three with two different clubs. Two different clubs. So, 98, 99, Teachers Eastern, 2000, Odohu, Kisipulu. Oh, prop Kisipulu. Oh. Yeah, Kisipulu did that. Oh, who was he with in the 98? 98 and 99, he was with Teachers Eastern. Oh, yeah. I know. I remember those finals when Lee Stensonis was playing and Isaiah Tanivula was playing. So, um, and they were both pretty much... In the clutch moments, it was Tanner Vili that won both both finals in the dying moments. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then he did it with Otahu. And then Kisipulu did it with Otahu, yeah. Otahu. Yeah, so Otahu in that 2000. Far out. Okay. I'd, oh, yeah, that's taking us back. Okay. Well, when that's I saw some good this, trivia there for um, some pub yeah. quizzes or something like that, you know? And then, you know, who knows? You know, maybe someone else did it before Kisi. Yeah, sure. maybe. But Kisi, yeah, he was a he was an awesome prop. Yeah, he was. Uh, he went on to have a, a forge a pretty good career in France. Yeah, he did. After that, and uh, probably came out and he played for Ikaletahi a number of times too. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was a special occasion, and you know they even went further afield from the celebrations that would have been had that weekend because I think a week or two later they had a a mini parade um, in Mangere Town Centre. So. <laughs> so that, that's oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, oh, they got to enjoy, you know. Me. So who knows when yeah, the next yeah, time they could win it? But um, they, right. they did well. Only stoked for Monaco and their fan base, and good for the region, good for Auckland rugby because it's been a long time and they never really factored featured. But what I've been encouraged about is that um, Papatoya voice they've maintained being solid this year. Um, Sally being one of the the resident coaches there for the reserves team, and who knows? I'm pretty sure Sully said that he's um, if he gets fit enough, he'll be back playing next year. So who knows? We'll be uh, he'll be back locking horns with some of the best in the game. Um, but even each uh, East Tamaki, uh, East Tamaki, they were, they did really well. And there's a co- uh, the, there's a trophy now that's up, or the Peter Fatialofa Cup that's up for grabs in the reserve grade, and so that sits with. Uh, Waitemata having been successful in that plate uh, championship, and so they've got that oh, nice. um, in the yeah over the summer. But yeah, it's it's good. And Peter Fatialofa was a stalwart for both East Tamaki as well as um, Ponsonby Rugby Clubs, and so it's good that he's getting special mention after the contribution that him and his family um, provided for the rugby communities over the years. Yeah, nice, nice, good content there, boys. Um... Well, one thing I thought was a bit, well, maybe it isn't surprising, I, I guess, but I saw, had a look at the Auckland team, and I think it was the Auckland development team, and with the Rovers doing quite well, I thought I might see them getting some good representation. 
but they didn't get a lot of guys in there. Um, mate, Joey, you got any thoughts? Oh, mate, it's 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 the same old story. Like even even um, the times that eight years in a row that Ponsonby had won the the Galar Shield final, even when Waitemata won their their one, and I think it was two thousand three, maybe. Even when Varsity won, um, every team that seems to win the Galahar Shield final has a has a really low representation in the in the Auckland uh, rep teams. And I'm guessing the, there's a system or a process there that Auckland Rugby needs to really fix, where they've got to stop um, earmarking players early in the season or in the first half of the season. And what actually wait until the final is being played, because you know you, you never know what talent you see in the final, and you know guys who deserve to to make to get the higher honours by making the final and and actually winning the damn thing miss out because they've got a system there at Auckland Rugby where they choose guys early in the season by the sounds of it by the looks of it. Um, I too was there at the uh, the parade, and it was a good parade for Manukau Rovers. I took my parents along, you know, because uh, we just live our family home is just down the road, and I knew it was on, so I told my parents, "Let's go, let's get in the car and go and support the local boys." And we did, and we saw um, Nick Bucklidge, saw Doug Sampton, the boys, and it was good to see some familiar Mangere faces. But um, yeah, the the. The underrepresentation of Galahar Shield winners is effing astounding. Uh, year in, year out, same old story. And Auckland Rugby Union really needs to do something about it because all it does is it adds to the declining number in registered players each year. That's all it does. You're just deterring players from wanting to come back and play again in this union. This, I mean, it's a tough club rugby competition, probably one of the toughest that I've ever played in. And, you know, you just deter players from ever wanting to represent the union when that's the kind of shenanigans that happens year in, year out. Speaking of deterring players from playing, there's yeah. Brenton Hello. Yes. Yeah. Uh, news of him coming out, eh? Sorry to take that away, the segue there for you, uh, no, that no, no one. that's that good. good. That's good. Carry on. Brenton Heller. Yeah, yeah. News flash of him um, speaking out about a couple of uh, unsavory knocks that he's received in the semi final, um, as well as the earlier on in the pool, um, in the pool play. Well, it would have been close to, because I think they they played like a couple of weeks apart in normal round robin and then semi finals, eh? Because there's two separate instances that um, he's he's sort of earmarked, um, where he's had a knee to the head, and then he's had been uppercut uh, by, and I believe he's saying it's the same player. Is that correct, Joe? Yeah, it is the same player. Yeah, so I don't know too much details about this particular player, but um, Brenton Halur, you know, he's he's done it all. He's played at for North Harbour, played for. Um, Auckland as well, years ago. He's now 36. I don't recall playing him at the Snake Pit earlier in this year when we we lost to them. They were um, 
such a smarter and, and more dominant um, outfit when we played them over there. And so, yeah, they just look like another another season rolling around. They've got a whole new group of talent coming through. So it just didn't seem any different. At Pons- uh, that, sorry, that university were going to be up there in the in the latter stages of the Gala Shield, and so and, and they were, and they made it all the way to the semis, but faltered against uh, Manuka again. So they were leading most of the time, but then the uh, Manuka was able to snatch it, similarly to what they did in the final. But I guess what's transpired is that this um, player has used his knee with a bit of force too, and and Brenton claims that he was knocked unconscious because of it. And similarly, at the semi-final with... Um... Oh, so it was the knee at the semi-final? The knee was a semi-final. The uppercut, where he got grabbed right in front of the referee, and he was um, knocked out. And the footage shows that he, he's fallen on his back after the contact. Yet the referee has deemed it nothing to stop play for or even award any penalties at the time. A judiciary he- judicial hearing was had, and even they sort of uh, decided that there was there nothing wasn't to any see proof. It's quite sad, eh? It's quite sad that uh, that's the case. And obviously there wasn't enough proof for them to deem it uh, punishable, and the guy got off. But at the same time, it's like this shit happens all the time. And, you know, you, all you do is you set a precedent for future incidents. People will stop uh, wanting to play, as Brenton has now, I guess, verbalised and indicated. Um, the the off-the-ball stuff never ends well for anyone, you know. Um, it's all just a bit of passion and male ego, bravado, off-the-ball stuff, you know. I've grabbed you too late or have held on to you one fraction of a second too long so you've got to rough me up or you've got to throw a hit for a jab or or elbow me or, or something because you can't be held on for too long because why are you holding on to me let me go you cheat all right so then headbutts and all those kind of things happen and depending on who's watching and whose ground it's at it could open up a can of worms, you know, could open up uh, unwanted support attention from the crowd. So uh, I guess in the in the case of Brenton, I understand fully where he's coming from. You know, he feels like these things have been done to him. He, uh, in the moment... Nothing was done. After the game, nothing was done. Why should he even bother playing the game that he's grown to love and grown up in? And why should he even bother showing up um, and playing against teams like this where, you know, he probably feels like, shit, I could put a nice clean tackle on this guy and he'll end up just punching me because I tackled him nicely. Why would I even bother to play in this physical game where any bit of contact off the ball will be deemed as uppercutable or nearable? That knee, I watched it a few times, the, the video footage that was sent to me and the video footage in the article, and I just thought, fuck, what an absolute dog shot. What a dog shot. You know, it was off the ball. It was unwarranted. I don't know what what could 
other than a, a, a knee beforehand or a punch beforehand, could have ever warranted a knee to somebody in the head whilst they're still on the ground. Absolute dog shot. It's despicable, doesn't belong in the game, and, you know, that kind of shit is like, it was prevalent and normalized in the in the amateur era, but we're not in the amateur era anymore. Sure, it's grassroots rugby, but fuck, man. But I guess that's where um, this shit's players still happening, eh? sometimes still think that because it's grassroots, it's club rugby, it doesn't have the television coverage, doesn't have the, the, the several yeah. cameras covering the yeah. game. And so, um, you know, those are the kinds of things that you can sort of get away with at club, club, club rugby, regardless of the grade. And unfortunately, it's to the detriment of these players who are at it, you know, contributing to um, grassroots rugby still being alive in this professional era. Um, but then, like Brenton's saying, you know, why would he want to come out of retirement even to help his club who were struggling towards the latter stages of of the Gallagher Shield uh, to, to, you know, to have sort of certain players for certain positions available. And he's done, you know, already years of service to that club and to club rugby, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's now deterred him from coming up because he's not being looked after by what he believes is Auckland rugby, the judicial system. But then also, you know, how is it going to protect not only guys like Brenton, but how has it protected players in the past? I think it's been, you know, the referees can only do so much, especially when you're in, in, especially, or lucky at, at premier level to have not only the referee, but then you've got official touch judges as well. Whereas the lower in the grades you go, they don't. You know, reserve grade, you'll be lucky to have one touchy, you know, with a referee that's been appointed. And then, you know, further down the grades, I think 21 is another area grade that probably get looked after by the union. But then every other, you know, grade after that, you know, you're lacking in, in, the, in touch match officials, let alone when we're already lacking in, in coverage or footage because it's up to each team, up to each club to provide a camera person. I know there's a lot of analysis now that's involved with, with rugby matches and a lot of players that are wanting to get highlight reels to send over to overseas sort of clubs and, you know, potential scouts so that's why that's there but not every game is going to have with a high quality or any cameras at all um at any matches so and you know we know that it happens it always has been in the game at club level at least because you can get away with it at that level but you know to the point where you're going to get players um knocked unconscious yep they're not going to want to play the game we've had we had an instance unfortunately it sort of um was a really ugly ordeal that happened last year, or was it last year or the year before, out of Otahu at Sturges, Sturges Park when Waitamata played. And we had a player knocked out unconscious as well. And, you know, to the point where you could actually press criminal charges because someone to be blind shot in any way, whether it be out in, on public or even on a sports field, it doesn't belong there. Yet that kind of activity can happen. And if not, at, and not only at premier level, but, you know, the lower grades. And so what happens there? Because how are the union looking after players that do get hurt and then have lifelong injuries sustained because of that? You know, they're not being looked after. You know, ACC will cover them to a point, but then, you know, normal life, um, sometimes uh, injuries that can affect them, you know, just in your normal living. And, you know, playing rugby again is, is the last on their mind when that happens. So totally understand, and he has a, he has a right to voice his, concerns 
Brinton Hulu because he's done, you know, not only because he's of what he's achieved in rugby, but just as a normal person shouldn't have to happen. But at the same time, it sort of tarnishes, you know, the achievement of Monaco Rivers of what, you know, what's been, you know, brought to light in this article where he's uh, mentioned his concerns and what's occurred in his personal experience as well. And obviously there'll be other people that are around. And that's why I question that, that footage that you've got, um, Joey, that you've seen it was an article, you know, because someone's taken a, a video of the footage, you know, because <laughs> it's, it's on a TV, a flat screen TV, but they've just taken the footage um, via their, their mobility device. So it'd be interesting to see it, you know, and, and sort of, in its fullness to understand what's occurred because it seems like Brenton was on the on his knees or coming off the ground when he was struck in the, uh, in the head by the knee. Similarly with what's occurred with him being uppercut, um, you know, they're grabbing at each other after the ball's moved on and then um, he's ended up being floored and falling back onto his back and it, there's an actual jolt in his neck and whether that's a Hollywood and people decide that's a Hollywood or not, there's an impact that's occurred with his head, but the referee was right there. So I guess he's adjudicated because it's in front of him. And, and unless he was paying attention to where the ball was going as he was motioning past him, we don't know. It's because um, the quality is quite grainy, but I guess we only know what we know. And those players that were involved know the fullness of it. But it's unfortunate that it's occurred. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It is unfortunate. And like you say, it's not like the NPC in Super Rugby where they've got all these cameras and all the rest of it and you can get caught. So there are those guys who have that mentality where as long as I can sort of be a bit sneaky about it, you will probably get away with it. And that leads to more sort of, can lead to more dirty stuff, off the ball stuff happening, which is unfortunate. So I don't know if there's an easy answer to snap that out, unfortunately. But I'm glad that, like you said, Brenton Hellers at least we're able to highlight that and bring it up and, and to uh, I think yeah. people like us can discuss it and bring it bring it to light. And then maybe hopefully Auckland rugby can I don't know what they can do about it. And whether, you know, footage can be taken at every game and each club is, is the onus on each club to to have footage taken because that, that does help at any judicial hearing and there's been plenty of times when I've been um, falsely accused when I was playing in North Harbour about certain instances when I was far away from said instances and yeah, turn up to the people. judiciary and no, 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 this guy's innocent. <laughs> no cameras, no proof. I'm, I'm innocent. I'm walking away. <laughs> oh, well, you know, well, you go you know where the cameras are. When, when witnesses, they put the complaint out and then don't even turn up to just judicial uh, hearing, they get thrown out. Nothing it must yet. be really hard for you, Roger. It must be really hard for you to state a case being the the holder of the number one red cards, Ooh. number of red cards in the history of Auckland Club Rugby, <laughs> no, and maybe even North that's, Harbour that's Club again, Rugby. Again, that's a false accusation there, Joey. I think you're, you're clutching at straws here. There, there's no such record that I hold there. No. It's just a perception. I think if there was a it's record, a you would be the one that holds it. Yeah. So so you're getting, you're getting character um, mixed up with reputation. So reputation is a perception <laughs> of others. There's a perception. So because you see you know, one person will say, oh, yeah, Roger must have got another card. Oh, Roger must have got another card. And see, that just Chinese whispers just carries on. But the character of the person, you know me. This is my character here. <laughs> I know what I'm like, you know. 
We all know that our rugby self is is separate from our true self. I'll give you a hug next time, CJ. <laughs> yeah, nice thoughts there, boys, and just uh, hope hope Brenton's doing uh, a lot better now. Yeah, yeah. Joe, did you want to say something before we? Uh... Just on the Brenton thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was quite unfortunate, and I do get what you mean, Rog, that you need more footage to get a bit more of the context of what happened beforehand. And, you know, um, maybe a few more seconds of footage might explain a bit more as to the reasons. But uh, I, I do believe there is a, a common thread there that said player was the common denominator in both videos. And I do believe there are players out there that unfortunately for themselves in the 2022 era of playing rugby, they can't get away with habitual violent acts that may have crept into or may just be a part of their game. There are aggressive players out there who just can't get it out of their game. The niggles, the little elbows, the little the little knees to the head that might knock out a palangi. Uh the the little the little uppercuts that you know the, they didn't think was going to hurt anyone. Mm. It's really unfortunate that when one news or New Zealand Herald or stuff puts out a post on social media and the perspectives that come on there, people just aren't kind with their with their thoughts and their opinions on Absolutely. on those those threads. Hashtag people just kind, aren't people. kind. Hashtag be kind. They are they are not kind at all. I had a look at that one news one with Brenton's article. About Brenton retiring and, and not wanting to play rugby again because of the lack of, uh, uh, I guess, action from the likes of a governing body like Auckland Rugby. I looked at the comments and I thought, shit, some of these people must have been amazing rugby players in their lifetime to be making comments like this. Like, go play nipple, go play soccer, harden up, oh... It was just a little touch to your jaw. Oh, you're acting like you're acting like you're all that. You're acting like you never threw a punch in your life. Like just the comments are just really ridiculous. Oh, look at this. You guys are just trying to tarnish the the championship that, that has just been won by this club. You guys are trying to make Monaco Rovers look bad. This, that, the other. I was just like, wow. These people look past the fact mm. that this this person is aggrieved by the fact that there's a lack of process, a lack of systematic action by the governing body being Auckland Rugby and not actually aiming it at the rugby club Manuka Rovers at all, mm. his decision to stop playing or not come back. More that this happens in our game and nothing's done about it by the so-called judiciary or even the referees in the moment who don't seem to act upon things that should be acted upon like maybe a player that has been knocked out from a knee and maybe find out how you can uh, do something about it but yeah I get I totally get Brenton's frustration and I wouldn't want to come back either just for the pure fact that it's not worth it I'd rather go and work on a Saturday than play rugby and risk getting knocked out week in, week out, not by 
uh, uh, head-on collision, but by by off-the-ball bullshit that could be avoided, or that uh, zero tolerance can be tinged to. Yeah, and, and I guess and, and make, to make it worse was, you know, happened in front of his kids, you know, as well. His kids had to witness yeah. it, so the trauma that goes with that. And, Absolutely. And um, that's something that, you know, you don't want your kids, you don't want your kids to witness that. And yeah. It's just fair play. Imagine but, seeing your... Yeah. Imagine seeing your hero get knocked out unnecessarily, unfairly, getting knocked out by a knee. He was helpless. And you see someone just take a knee to your dad's head. And what can you do about it as a nine-year-old kid other than cry? And think to yourself, fuck, this sport is violent. I don't ever want to play this shit. Dad, don't ever play again. And I believe that's what he told his dad. Dad, I was the one that told you to come out of retirement and help your your club. But I'm also the one that's telling you, stop playing, Dad. Please don't go back to that violent sport. It's, it's those experiences, eh, that sort of deter kids from even taking up the game or playing at a, yeah. at a higher level later on in their young life. This is why, and this, this is why, and there's stats as well to prove this. This is why there's a massive decline in registered rugby player numbers and there is a there's a increase in registered basketball playing numbers. Mm. Do the math, you go figure. Well, what's going on there? There's a shift from full contact to hardly any contact. Of course, I want to go play the hardly any contact game. It's more fun. I guess. Uh, I guess to come home with all my teeth in place. And just following on from that age, Joey, it's, I think he's. He's at liberty to speak out the way he has because, in essence, he's not only raising awareness of the lack of protection that Auckland Rugby are providing for the grassroots rugby player um, and the clubs, but it's just just sharing his experience and the unfortunate case that's occurred here because it happens too often, but doesn't get any um, doesn't get many, much airtime. And like you say. It's easy for keyboard warriors to come on and, and comment on certain articles um, and say what they say. And some sometimes it's valid. Sometimes you, 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 we do you see too much um, diving in Hollywood, even in not only just football, but in, in rugby games as well. But in rugby league, we're seeing it where players are getting up slower just so that they can sort of, you know, sort of nudge uh, the bunker to replay what's occurred just before. And so that stops the referees and holds up the game, but then shows some sort of foul play that's occurred. It's warranted, but at the same time, then that player that was supposedly injured and hurt by this this act is up and running again, smiling and carrying on. So I don't like that part of the game. When it when it's a genuine sort of act of foul play or um, professional foul or even an act where it's caused someone, rendered someone unconscious, yeah, that's what we've got to try and stamp out. And that's really hard to stamp it out at club level because it's just not the the resources to cover it coverage wise but um yeah I'm I'm backing Brenton Hillur's been a competitor for you know many a year and especially at club level been fortunate enough or is it fortunate or, or unfortunate enough to come up against his competitiveness and we've we've you know bump chests a couple of times, one or two here and there over the years, but uh, competitive by nature and yeah, stalwart of University Rugby Club and he's done well, but um, unfortunately his, his, his services to the game has ended on this real sour note and wish him well and his family 
as they um, sort through this ordeal and, and maybe get some answers from Auckland Rugby. Yeah, I think like you touched on a uh, good point, oh, both of you actually, but Joey, like how you mentioned before, like, you know, those keyboard warriors, probably would, it would have been so much easier from his side if he just, you know, just retired quietly and just went on about his life. Then you don't have to deal with the unkindness and the the keyboard warriors. But then that, if he does that, it doesn't bring, you know, awareness to what's going on and it doesn't change anything. So he sort of put himself out there knowing that there's going to be these people who are going to just say, oh, go play Newport, some stupid comments like that. And putting himself in that type of position, knowing that that's going to happen, but he's doing that because he knows it's also going to shine a light on something that needs to be changed. So you got to give the guy some credit there. It would have been so much easier for him to just say, I'm done and just not say anything and fade, you know, right off into the sunset. But uh, he's decided to take the, I suppose, the harder road for the bit for the betterment of the game. So, you know, you got to give the guy some credit. All right, boys, uh, we're dragging on a bit, but uh, one last thing, uh, if no one's got anything else they wanted to say on the club scene, um, Elia Green. Elia Green, she's decided to transition. Um, she was a great seven-star for Australia, um, making that transition uh, to mail, I believe, is the case. Uh, Joy, you got something you wanted to mention on that? Yeah, well, Elliot Green, I've watched her for a few years on the Sevens circuit and uh, she's been quite a competitive player on the wing and, um, you know, she's she's scored a fair few tries. She even uh, represented the New, the New Zealand Warriors as well, women's team. Um, I think we have to now call her he. Because he's kept the um, same name, eh? Yeah, he's kept the same name. Elia, mm. of two L's. Um, you know, it's it's irrelevant that he is Fijian, but I just want to bring up that differentiation just in case. Um, but anyway, uh, Australian as well. So um, I think it's... Uh, Good thing for that community that this person has come out and, uh, you know, kind of tried to normalize it and wants others who might be, uh, they call it trans youth, wants the trans youth to not be scared to come out and um, be who they are, be who they want to be. And... Um, in a sport like rugby where it's kind of previously been demonized and not really talked about or brought to light. So good on Elia. All the best to you. Um, all the teams that uh, you represent, they may be welcoming to that. So um, I don't know what else to say. That that won't be offensive. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Did you want to um, say anything? Well, we've heard about the, you know, some of the situations that uh, Olympic teams, national bodies, um, have had to face with saying no to men who have transitioned to become female and to compete in the female categories of of certain sports. <coughs> so, what would it be? Because because they're saying that. Those men who have transitioned are still 
got the build or the makeup of the DNA of of a male, a fully fledged male strength, speed, and um, so what, what? What about the other way then? Would a female be deemed okay if they've transitioned? And like uh, Elia Green's uh, um, example, to now transition to become a a male, would they be accepted in a male? Um, world of sport to compete with males as a male because would they be as dominant or would they be as um, as the reverse is a female a male transitioning to a female if that makes sense because it's the the, the, the world bodies are saying no to a male going across and competing in a female uh, sport, would it be said the same way? Because if if, if the, the question that we're fearing is that a male is too dominant to become a female and compete with other females and saying it's unfair, so then if that be the, the case, then they shouldn't have to worry about a female coming into the, a male transitioning to become a male and then um, should they be concerned about that or would they be as accepted? Uh, yeah. Because based on those grounds, they wouldn't be as dominant, right? I think in this case, it would be unfair because Elia seems to be better than all the Wallabies Sevens players anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, she's only uh, he's only 29 and um seems like he's retired from... Well, definitely retired from the female game. Um, could has the full transition he, happen? Sorry, has has he she he fully transitioned? Well, it says has come out as a trans man. So maybe I'm not too sure. Does that trans man? Does that mean he's had the? I have no idea. I don't know how this works. So it says yeah, transgender women have been blocked by World Rugby from competing. An elite women's international rugby or the International Rugby League has precluded rugby league players who have transitioned from male to female from international competition. And the same was in the, in the swimming. In FINA, the governing international body of swimming, voted to bar transgender women from elite female competition. So it's, it's mm. yeah, so they're, they're not wanting men who have become women, transition to becoming women, to compete, but... You know, what does it mean for a female transitioning to a male? But mm. in the like article, sports in the Guardian it's saying Green has no ambition to return to the sport at the moment. Okay. At the moment. Okay. What's what sports would women have physical advantage over men in? Nipple? Would you would you put nipple well, there? It. No. I think the men's New Zealand men's team beat the women's team, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recently, yeah. So it's yeah, it's still hard to, but then there were some years where even the men's team couldn't even foot it with the, the silver the silver ferns. But I think recently, yeah, the men's team have been able to pull one back on them. But hmm. Mm. Right. If anyone's offended, send your hate mail to Joey and Rog. Uh, nah, I oh, think no. we've been pretty So, yeah, just, go, just uh, going on further down in this um, article in The Guardian, 
So yeah, she. I mean, he has said the one thing that kept, that did keep me positive is that I did already. I had already planned my surgery and treatment towards my transition. So I believe it's it's been done. Yeah. Oh, so is because gonna... she went through a, a whole lot of, you know, there was some dark times here where they where she felt like a complete failure because you know being ashamed and maybe of the struggle that she went through in her mental health. Um you know, coming forward to family and coming out to family and everything like that. So, Does that mean then he is able to grow an eggplant? What What do you mean by egg? What's that? I mean, does the operation mean that the, the this guy can now grow an eggplant? I think it means that they've, yeah. They've, um... Or does it just get stuck on? provided this person. Oh, okay. Uh, with so they, with the um, the male organ. So they're taking from a dead man and putting on to this. I, I I'm no doctor, Joey. So I don't know how the process works. <laughs> it could be like a couple don't. of skin grafts from his butt cheek, and they make something. <laughs> okay, we're okay. moving away from the rugby topics. Now. Well, do um, they, are they visiting the Hutton's factory to? Cam, can we delete this part of the? <laughs> Yeah. Right. Uh, on that note, we'll, we'll move forward. <laughs> Alia Green, congratulations. It's glad you could be yourself, uh, your true version of yourself. So wish you all well, the best. Yeah. We're just about to wrap up, boys. Um, yeah, we'll wrap it up uh, on that note. Um, just get some final words from you, boys, and closing it up. Uh, Joey, mate, any last words? From you, brother? Oh, uh, yeah. Just uh... um, to all our listeners, if you're listening, um, don't be like me and Rog. Just be kind. <laughs> nice. Nice. Be like me. Be kind. Rog, mate, uh, any last words in closing us up? I look forward to the, the rest of the rugby championship as well as these matches against Argentina and Australia with the Bledisloe. Bye-bye, Bledisloe. Signing out um, this part of the season, and then uh, Fozzie Bear will have even more, you know, just uh, increase his winning percentage. <laughs> out of the, he's not going to get as many matches as as, as uh, Sir Graham Henry have had, has had in charge, as well as Steve Hansen. Okay. But improving that 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 percentage um, is going to be good. It's going to be good, and I think these these next up and coming tests is going to show that the the collective, the collaboration with Schmidt and Ryan and Co, is going to be a good move for New Zealand rugby heading in the right direction towards next year's World Cup, and looking forward to see how they implement fringe players into this New Zealand A team for the end of year tour as well. Nice, nice. Yep, I agree with all that. I just hope Ian Foster does well. You know, he's our guy now. Like you mentioned, Joey, we should probably just get him behind him. So I'll... He's always been the guy. I'll be... Uh, I'm just glad they made a decision. You know, they sat on the fence for far too long. They should have either sacked him or backed him ages ago. So I'm glad we finally got to that point. And I hope he does well. I don't think he will, but I hope he does. And good. I'm, I'm with you. Also, as you mentioned earlier, Roger, about... You know, appeasing the masses with uh, Schmidt signing on because I am appeased with that. I think that's a concession. So 
I wish the All Black staff all the best. And uh, good to see, we talked a bit about the club rugby scene, which was a really good topic, and I'm glad to see the Rovers. Got to support my uh, future wife and her family. Uh, glad to see them get a win, and, and they were amazing. So. Future wife? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get married? Yeah, hopefully. Uh, oh, as long as that must mean there's a stag dude or something. As long as they don't blow it schedule. in the next couple yeah. of uh, weeks or so, we get married shortly, so... Kind of Ruck's going to be taking a month break because uh, <laughs> Stacey's going to be recovering yep. for a long time as he heads into married mm. life. Looking forward to it. But yeah, boys, that's us. Yeah, thanks for jumping on, boys. Uh, I'll mention the Counter Ruck's available through the usual podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and basically anything that you listen to your podcasts on. So don't forget to click subscribe, sorry, and keep listening. So, boys, thanks very much, guys. Uh, we'll be back shortly. Too. Thank you. And Thank you. Mark Robinson resign. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the next top podcast topic. Next coming up. Oi, oi. Mm.